Welcome to Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky, where we help you to create more safety and enjoyment in the bedroom. I'm Natalie Viers, a pleasure and intimacy coach. And I'm Rocky Peterson, Yoni massage practitioner and pleasure educator. This is a space where you get to open your mind, be free of your inhibitions and play. All right. Hi, I'm Rocky. And I'm Natalie. And today we're talking about why you feel disconnected from what you want. And I think, uh, Natalie, you had a story for me. Yeah. So I think this is, you know, an experience that so many people can relate to. The kind of waking up and, and realizing you don't really know exactly what it is that you want. I wanted to relate what happened to me in my mid-20s. I sort of woke up one day and realized that I really wasn't in touch with what I personally like and what I enjoy. And I certainly was not in touch with what I want. I had sort of this like really surface idea of what I wanted, but it it was really defined by who was around me and it relied a lot upon external expectations. So when I looked inward, I realized that I had never really moved through a process of getting curious about what I want and what my deeper desires are. And that realization led me down a rabbit hole in which I discovered that women are largely conditioned and programmed by in our culture and society to be very disconnected from desire and from getting clear on what our deeper wants are. And it's because it serves the way that our culture is currently set up for women to be more in service outside of ourselves. And it really shakes things up radically for women to do the work to get in touch with what we really want because that shifts the collective power dynamic. A lot of the programming and conditioning exists to convince us that we are reaching for an ideal based on society. So in my mid-20s, I woke up and I was like, well, I got married and I went to college and I did the like white picket fence thing and it didn't satisfy me at all all. It was this huge disappointment. It was this huge disappointment and it didn't have any meaning to me. It didn't relate to who I am on a deeper level at all because I didn't know how to relate to who I was on a deeper level. Uh, I had never moved through a process or, or been related to in a way that sought to discover those things. So the deeper realization for me was that you know, most of us have not moved through this inquiry of what do we really want? And there are all of these self-imposed limitations that we put on ourselves and our desires based on what we think we're allowed to want, basically, within the greater context of, you know, what culture and society tells us we're allowed to want as women. So one of the biggest things that that lies between us and getting what we really want is creating the clarity, like doing the work to understand what is it that you really want? Asking yourself that question, doing the deeper work. Rocky, when you offer your yoni sessions to women, 
like one of the most common experiences is is that you've talked about is that women show up not really knowing what they like, not really knowing what they want. And that's why you have a list of suggestions and possibilities that, you know, someone can explore and experience. And it's it's because of this, you know, collective construct that exists not encouraging women to get clear on what they want that is to blame for this gap in in women's experience. So a big part of this healing process for women is taking the time to gain the clarity. What do I really want? And if I'm allowed to want anything that I want, what and I take the cap off myself, release those limitations, what are, what are those answers? When so where did you go with this? Well, when I first kind of woke up to not knowing what I wanted, it was started by what gives me pleasure and amuses me and, you know, what makes me feel more engaged in life. And I brought it back to my sense of play. What puts me in a play state? What makes me feel freer and like I could lose track of time? And I started building habits around spending more time with that and exploring with that. And it was definitely the like lifestyle stuff that I got to before I started looking at my sexual exploration and, and what my desires were when it comes to that. So what was the promise of the white picket fence scenario originally? I'm going back a little bit, but yeah, how did the disconnect, how does it get so wide? So there's this like narrative constructed around, you know, if, if you want to be a functional adult, a, a productive member of society, this is what you do. And I was flying blind in terms of growing myself up. I didn't have a lot of guidance in terms of like exploration of self. And I had in my family, you know, the white picket fence was what you do. It, it was like, that's how you show the world that you're a successful adult. So we've all got the conditioning begins in September when we're, you know, what, five years old. It's like, okay, the first thing you're going to kindergarten and you're going to, you know, you're going to do school and you've got to, you know, do your own homework and you've got to get good grades. And I mean, it, the conditioning begins, you know, I mean, from when we're little kids, right, we get to be adults and not even think about how we ended up there. Yeah. I, I never viewed college as a as a choice. It was always a complete expectation that I was going to get a higher education and do something productive with it. But again, like what was really missing was that inner exploration of what the fuck has meaning to me? What matters to me? What makes me feel alive and excited to be here? And like I'm contributing something to the world that is worthwhile. So culture gives us, here's how to go be productive and contribute to society, but it never kind of says, and while you're at it, go ahead and have some fun, have some it, pleasure along the way. Culture teaches us how to be productive in society, which is in no way synonymous with happy. There's no happiness in that productivity. Well, the pre presumption is you go to college and and that gets you a good job and you've got money, so you're happy. Money's right. happy, right? I mean, that's the world we live in. You got money, you're happy. 
Right. That's that's the suggestion. And and that which is an idea based off of when there used to be more of a robust middle class in this country. And now even that does isn't enough to bring people that, you know, marginal level of happiness that money promises, which we know isn't real. So we end up maybe having enough money to like be somewhat content. And then it's like is this it? I I think that's probably the experience of anyone who is hyper focused on, you know, money in terms of framing their success because money alone doesn't doesn't provide satisfaction, doesn't provide fulfillment. It it money doesn't have meaning to most people. Are you excited to explore the world of pleasure? If so, head to getting off with natalieandrocky.com where you can choose your own adventure. So, <laughs> so this may be just me, but there may be some guys out there that can relate to this too. That uh, to a degree in my life, money is the tool to get to be able to have a relationship and love and intimacy and pleasure and all of that it's like well yeah if you know you don't have a car you don't have a house you don't have a job you know you're not going to be very desirable as far as a man and so money is like the prerequisite for pleasure and it's like okay well we don't get to think about pleasure until we've got the house the car and the job and all that good stuff so uh, i mean it's not just women that get in this conditioning trap you know, happens to guys too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, for a lot of men, the thinking kind of stops there. If I've got the job and the house and the car and can provide for her, my job is done here. And I, I you know, I've earned, I've earned the relationship. So where is it? She should show up now? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for, for men and fortunately for all of us collectively, I think what we're realizing in order to create actual satisfaction and happiness in our lives is that we need to develop the skills to really connect intimately with each other, to really like feel seen and known by each other and supported beyond just the physical. So when someone comes to my studio, one of the things that I do is I, I kind of put their feet in the fire to tell me what they want. And there's a couple reasons for it. Number one is for consent, right? I mean, they are going to submit their body to being touched in ways that are very intimate. And I need to make sure that I have absolute permission. And, and I, I want them to feel like, oh, yeah, this is all about boundaries and it's only going to go where I say it can go. And someone can feel safe and, and all that. But the other one is really to kind of put women in a position to like kind of push them to get in touch with what I want. Gosh, I don't know what I, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I like. And so sometimes the very first session is giving someone an opportunity to get a little bit of sampling of things they might like so that they can go, oh yeah, I like soft and slow and I like it when I'm touched this way or that way and start to get back in touch with it. But it, 
it really is a situation where I have to push it because so many women have no idea what they want, what they like. That's why your sessions are a healing container, because the structure of the container, the session itself, provides an opportunity for this exploration that a woman just doesn't have otherwise in a lot of cases. So anytime we are offering a space for exploration like this, it's a healing space because we're deepening our self-awareness, our self-knowledge within that space. There's another step to actually receiving what we want, right? There's this step of, you know, needing to do the work to create the clarity, the exploration, the curiosity, opening ourselves up to the possibilities. And then there's the next step, which is receptivity, allowing ourselves, doing the work to feel safe enough to receive what we want. So does that have anything to do with having permission to want? We give ourselves permission to want. I think that is a essential step in sovereignty and taking personal responsibility and honoring our own inner authority. We have permission to want what we want. Your desires occur to you because they are destined for you. If you can envision it, you can create it. Well, certainly that's within your control, but I mean, let's say you want your partner to do something, this might not be a good analogy, but I mean, I, I come across women who, you know, seem to need my permission for it to be okay for them to want to even to be able to ask for what they want. It's like, really, I can ask for that. And it's like, well, yeah, of course. And I know that that's not quite in the realm of receptivity, but the dynamic of the relationship of another person kind of can get in the way if you don't feel like you can ask for what you want. Yeah, I actually, I skipped that step in moving on to receptivity because at first we define what it is that we want and then then comes the communication part. There's a lot of personal responsibility there and that like once we define what we want, we are responsible for providing it for ourselves for the most part. And we can either do that alone through our own channel by by directly providing ourselves with our desires or when when not possible or when it's desirable to do so we can ask for what we want from someone else who we trust and who's willing and has expressed desire to have that conversation and that interaction with us around our desires so now that's where you need receptivity from that's him. where the receptivity you comes need from. receptivity from him too maybe yeah and the reason why receptivity is kind of like the challenging step in all of this i mean it, it's hard enough to to do the exploration work of what do i want um but when it comes to receptivity then we're dealing with do i feel safe enough to receive and we're also dealing with do i feel worthy of receiving worthy now that's an interesting do i feel deserving of what i want yeah and that's that, that kind of goes a little bit with the permission thing it's like it, maybe that's what i'm perceiving when someone kind of asks well really i can ask for that maybe that's a, a more of a worthy thing than a permission thing for me personally i received a lot of intense conditioning that i want too much 
mm. that, which expanded to I am too much. You know, I, I need too much. I want too much. I am too much. Mm. Was that someone you were in a relationship with? No, um, that was ingrained by my parents. Um, mm. The overall message was we were in a upper middle class family. All of my basic physical needs were met. And, you know, we were a relatively well-to-do family. And the message was, if you want more than you're getting, if you want different than you're getting, you are ungrateful for what you have received. Not go out and get it. You are ungrateful for wanting more. Okay. Or different. You don't appreciate what you already have and therefore are not deserving even of what you already have if you want more. So that made it pretty hard for me to acknowledge that I wanted things because the fear was if I claim what I really want, no one will love me because I'm too much. So I imagine that interfered right out of the gate in your romantic relationships. Yes. I mean, so much of my work with my clients revolves around working with the throat chakra because this is where we activate asking for what we want. And it's where we get cut off and go silent when we don't feel we have the right to ask. And so my relationships in my early 20s, before I woke up and realized that things were fucked up, <laughs> My input into the relationship was incredibly passive. I was there to please and serve and to mold myself into what someone else wanted, which worked for men whose wounds mirrored my own, who, you know, were operating in the same dysfunctional dynamic. And so we were attracted to each other like magnets. But when I started growing into a space where hey, like I actually want to, you know, own some of my own agency and have some sovereignty in this life and feel like I have my own inner power. It stopped working with men who needed me to be this very, very pleasing passive version of me. And it's taken the development of discernment to be able to recognize men who are even open to receiving my desires, who can hold space for all that I am. It's a shift from trying to contort myself to fit into a space that's too small for me versus now training myself to look for who has a space large enough for me. What about somebody who's already in a relationship and they're not in a position to re-choose mm -hmm. the partner that's got a big enough space for them? Yeah. What, are the, what so do they do? So my, the analogy that I am always coming back to when we are already in relationship and we're trying to do this work, so many uh, experience feeling like they're the only one in their relationship doing that work. And the, like, I really want him to do it with me. I really want like, I really want my partner along for the ride. And we really try to like rope them in and like, let's do this together. And it's like personal development and growth just doesn't work like that. We grow, we change when we want to, period, not when anyone else wants us to. So when we're in an existing relationship and we're realizing, oh, fuck, I have no idea what I want. And you're like, how do I, how do I even create space for what I want? We create it for ourselves. So anytime we are in a relationship with someone, we are doing a relationship dance with that person. And 
we don't create change by pointing to the other person and saying, I don't like the way that you're dancing. Change your footwork, please, and dance differently with me. It doesn't work like that. We can't, we literally can't direct the other person's, like, we can't tell them what to do like that. Direction's unclear. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. All we can do is take personal responsibility for the experience we are creating for ourselves and how we are operating in this two-person dynamic and change our own footwork, which we can do with pure embodiment. We do not even need to verbally share how and why we're changing our footwork. We can simply just quietly change how we're dancing, which then opens up the invitation and the opportunity for the other person to notice that we changed how we're dancing. And, you know, maybe they get tripped up a little bit. Maybe they struggle with a little bit and they're like, wait, this is, this is a new dance. This is different than what we were doing. And they can either find the new step with you and, and, you know, find the new way of dancing or they can go dance elsewhere. So sounds like we're talking about communication. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest like complaints I hear is like, there's no room for me and my feelings. There's no room for me here. I'm like, I, it's, it's all about you. Well, when, when you have that feeling, you are the one who has to make space for you. You are the one who has to claim that space, make it for yourself, use your voice, put that into the space between you and the other person. When you're, when you're wanting to claim power in your life and you feel like someone is exerting power over you, that person is never going to be like, oh, that's how you feel? Okay, here's your power back. Like, no. It's, it just it doesn't serve the other person. The other person is being served by having power over you. If you want your power back, you got to stand up and you got to claim it. And you got to say, no, that's my power. You can't have it. So the, this kind of r- reminds me of a conversation that I had with a partner about, I had a partner that had kind of an opinion that, well, men just use women. We just use you. And uh, you know, when it comes to sex, and it's like, whoa, 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 time out here. Wait a second. It, it, it takes two, right? I mean, you know, if we're, if we're having sex together, uh, yes, I'm not going to deny that I am using your body. And I, and I say that I don't mean in a way that in a negative way, I'm you, you know, we use each other. In fact, as communities, we're always using each other in different ways. There's reciprocal use, right? And so, yes, I'm using your body, but at the same time, I totally expect you to use my body. And it's like, wait, I can use you? Well, yes, of course. I mean, that's kind of the deal in a relationship. I'm using you and you're using me. We're using each other for, you know, getting our needs met. And so it can be kind of a little bit unspoken and 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 women can kind of feel a little bit like it's a little bit one-sided, but for a, a lot of guys, I think they would agree with me. It's like, oh, yes, absolutely. I, I would be expecting you to use me. Please use me. Use me more. Could you got other ways you want to use me? Let me know so that I can accommodate that. So, I mean, sometimes it's you're not getting what you want because you haven't communicated, you know, that you want a little bit more. And the other person is just kind of oblivious, you know, that it's like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. I'm using you, you're using me and, you know, we're having sex and whatever happens, happens. 
And then, you know, you kind of go away feeling like you got used and he goes away thinking that you used him, but that's not how it felt for you. Yeah. That language of using each other is, is a, a huge turnoff to me. Yeah. I don't have a better way to put it. I know it's, it, it sounds like a negative. I feel like that language is based off of our older concept of what relationships are like that that's old paradigm shit yes yes i i agree and i apologize for it but like i said i haven't i haven't found a better way to like yeah no you don't need to apologize because you're bringing it here to develop it for me recognizing when i am unconsciously desiring to use a man for anything has been a huge part of my healing process for me to be in my integrity I do not feel aligned with who I am if I am consciously or unconsciously using someone. I don't I don't believe that that's sovereign behavior. I think that that is codependent behavior. Now, using someone isn't the same as asking for what we want and need. But when we ask, we're not asking with a sense of entitlement. We're not asking with attachment to the outcome, like, because I'm asking, you must give it to me. That's not how we're operating. Instead, we're taking personal responsibility for our own needs and desires, and we're going to give it to ourselves first, but we're also going to give people who love us an opportunity to provide for us as well by asking for what we want and need without that attachment to, like, they must give it to me if I ask. So this idea of like sex being using each other, that's objectification. That is sex without the deeper intimate connection. And that is what we're trying to grow out of collectively. That is what we are trying to move away from. Sex just to use each other to get off is like, sure, you're meeting a a surface need there. Like, hmm, I'm an adult and I need to get off. Okay. But like you're leaving so much deliciousness on the table by like just leaving your engagement at we're using each other. There's all of this beautiful connection and experience that you're not going to get to because you're thinking about things on the surface. When I say that, I'm not suggesting that it's limited to just a sexual encounter or something like that. I mean... It sounds transactional. If I'm using you, you use me. Like that's the expectation. Okay, well, that's transactional. And transactional is ultimately codependency. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to distinguish, you know, the the concept. I mean, it 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 started, it came out of her mouth. It's like men just use women. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, if you know, in that in those terms, yes. Reciprocity is different. Reciprocity is both of you feel like you're giving and receiving and there's an energetic flow between you. It's not tit for tat. No one, you know, no one's measuring who did what it, it, there's a, there's a dance and a flow to it. Now it's my time to give. Now it's my time to receive. Now it's time to give again. But that natural flow, that dance of giving and receiving can only happen if both people have done the work to get clarity around what do I want. Men are programmed to get clarity around what they want. They're told they are meant to have a direction. You're meant to have purpose. Like if you, if you want to be a man in this world, you need to know what you want. So men don't have this problem of waking up as an adult and being like, who the fuck am Like, what do I want? And I generalize, not all men, obviously. There are plenty of men who have been traumatized out of who they are. 
but in general, culturally, it is way more women are conditioned to be of service to those around us and to be plugged into what everybody is needing and wanting around us much more so than our own internal reality. So, you know, kind of getting back to how to get what you want for a woman, it takes courage to ask. It really does. Totally. And so how do we help women see the value and having that courage and making that a priority. You get support. You surround yourself with other women who are claiming what they want and what they need and owning their sovereignty. You work with someone like me who's going to help you put yourself first again and again and again while you build that muscle and, and learn to practice your own self-devotion. It is this process of owning what we really want and operating according to who we we really are is absolutely a process and a practice and something that we grow into over time. This isn't just a wake up one day and, oh, I don't know what I want. And then like, boom, okay, now I do. No. I think owning what you want is a good starting point uh, because, I mean, so a guy owns what he wants, right? And so if he recognizes that you're owning what you want, that could certainly seem reciprocal. It's like, I get to own what I want. You get to own what you want. Okay, cool. Now we're equal. And we want that. We want you to be able to own what you want and be able to ask. And Totally. It does not serve men for women to be disempowered. No. I say that we're in this situation because of the patriarchy. That is not the same as saying we're in this situation because of men. Men suffer from the, the existing system just as much as women do. It's the imbalance of power and the, the lack of equality from person to person that is the reason for all the suffering. If we can recognize each other's sovereignty and be in that energy of reciprocity, interacting with each other in, in our wholeness. When a woman doesn't know what she wants, it's actually kind of a burden for a man. I remember having a girlfriend when I was young and we'd, you know, get together to go do something. And it's like, well, so what do you want to do? And it seemed like she was always saying, whatever you want to do. And it's like, oh no, I, <laughs> I, w I want you to have some of your own wants. It's, I, I don't want it to always be what I want. That's boring for me. Mm-hmm. So that, I mean, that's an interesting nuance. I'm a woman who knows what she wants. I am very clear on my preferences. I know what I'm available for and what I'm not available for. And I love when a man tells me wh where we're going for dinner. Now, I, I don't want that to be based on off of his preferences alone. I want him to tell me where we're going with an awareness of what I like and what I would enjoy as well. But in a relationship dynamic, because I know what I want, I know what I'm available for and what I'm not available for, my inner masculine is very much online and I am in the habit of leading myself in my own life, which is what a woman in her, in her full sovereignty does. And as I am leading myself all over the place in my life, in relationship, I want to rest in a form of submission. 
not all the time. It's it's a dance like any relationship. Sometimes I want to be in the lead or feel I need to be in the lead because that's what the dance requires. But the majority of the time, I feel taken care of and provided for and seen when a man says, let's go to the sushi place you like for dinner and just doesn't even give me a choice. Because then I'm like, great, I don't have to make like one decision I don't have to make. <laughs> one thing I don't have to lead. And I'm down for that. That I totally feel what you're saying there. And that that sounds very doable. It's different, though, because he's sourcing that decision based off of my preferences, which he knows and I've made clear. And so I know what I want versus the situation you're talking about is more wishy-washy. She hasn't done the work to define what she wants, and she's using your masculine in replace of her own inner masculine leadership, right? Right, She's She's trying to outsource her masculine direction to you, which is putting too much pressure and asking too much of this idea of a man leads and a man provides, it can end up swinging too far into the territory of a man carries the load, the, you know, the weight of, of two people. Right. And that's, that's not at all healthy. That's not what, what should be asked of him. Right. And then it migrates into the bedroom. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what do you like? I don't know. You, you show me what you think I'll like. Yeah. Okay. That works for a while. One of the biggest things that my blowjob course teaches is it, you know, it deals with this situation where, you know, we women, we want to be pursued by a man. We want him to make a move on us. We, we want to feel like he's hungry for us, like he's coming for us. You know, uh, we want to feel like we're really desirable. And a lot of women will fall into this trap where, like, I don't feel like my man desires me in the relationship. And so the big question is, well, are you being very desirable? <laughs> Because a lot of the times we're being bitter and resentful and we're like looking at the man like, just be sexier. And it's like, mm. <laughs> Yeah, but resting bitch face, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not very approachable, is it? So, no. So the opening of my course is the discussion of how do we create the invitation for a man? How do we adjust our energy and our expectations? And how do we hold ourselves so that he can step in and do the man thing the way that we want, but we're not telling him to do it. We're not, we're not leading him there. We are inviting him there, which is very different. Right. So ladies, we're way more energetic beings than you think. We have way more perceptions. We don't talk about it the same way. We don't recognize it the same way. I don't even know how to say it. It it feels like it's something that guys aren't supposed to talk about that I've got some kind of perception about what's going on with you, but we're still using it. Intuition, for example. That's like men aren't supposed to say, I have intuition. Really? Yeah. I mean. Is it not manly? It's becoming more okay, certainly in your age group, but in my age group, you know, it's like, oh, you know, men don't have intuition, you know. We have a gut feeling, you know, it's like, that's how we can say it, right? It's something. You get to call it instinct. Instinct. Okay. Yeah. But the the truth is, you know, we have the same kind of ability to have a perception about what's going on with you that you have. I mean, maybe women have a little bit better perception because you're paying more attention to the details. So you're paying attention to the perceptive details too, where we're looking at what we're perceiving on more of a broader overall scale, but we can still see 
You know, when you've got that face on that says, don't even touch me, we feel it, we see it, and you put it on all over out in the world. In fact, one of the things I do, I help single women. Uh, I, I, I had no idea that this was going to happen, but I started seeing single women and it's like, you know, things aren't happening. I haven't dated anybody in a couple of years. And, you know, it's like I'm invisible in the world. And, and it's like, I tell them, well, you're turned off. You've got the face on, you know, that tells men don't approach me. And it's like, well, yeah, I have to because, you know, I'll get hit on by too many guys. And it's like, ah, so you know that you've got it turned off and you just haven't come to that point where you can figure out how to turn it back on and deal with, you know, getting hit on, which is partly what you want, right? Because you're not getting dates, uh, but not getting hit on by the guys that you don't want to get hit on, right? So you, well, we don't get to control that. Well, that's right. Exactly. So, but you, what you do get to control is you have to turn it back on. Okay. There's, if you're, if you're single and you want to be getting more attention again, you have to have it back on. You just have to be prepared with what you're going to say to the ones that you're not interested in. You have to get good at saying, no, thank you. Lie or whatever. I'm with somebody or find a way to say that you're not interested politely and move on. And It'll be good for your ego, you know, to even the ones that you don't want, hopefully aren't too terrible. But that whole perception thing, you bring it home when you're in a relationship, you bring it home and, you know, you've got the the face on that says, oh, don't talk to me. I'm not not interested in anything right now. And And we're all doing it. But guys can pick up on it, too. When I offer sensual confidence work, this is one of the main things that I am talking about with women is that hearing you talk about it, like I almost get annoyed the way, listening to a man talk about it because you make it sound like it's fucking easy. And it is terrifying, terrifying to be a woman walking around turned on in this world. It takes so much courage. It takes so much inner power to stand in your ability to just be sexy in your existence. Because we all have so much experience with that not feeling safe. Because there are so many men who behave completely inappropriately. And we have so many situations that require such a level of resilience. So literally, to get more comfortable being sexy in front of strangers, I developed a practice for a year of going and uh, dancing at my local park, uh, I would just put in my headphones and just, you know, ecstatic dance, basically moving my body however I felt like moving, which because I am a woman with hips ends up looking sexy <laughs> or like I'm trying to be sexy in some people's perception. And I processed a lot of my, I had a, a complex PTSD response to other people's emotional response to my sexiness. So when I first started this practice, I would want to shut myself down anytime I felt someone negatively responding to what I was doing or grossly positive. Like a man would walk by and I would feel like the way that he was looking at me like a sexual object. And then, you know, his wife would be walking next to him and I would feel her anger towards me and blame towards me and her husband for being gross. And, you know, another woman 
walks by and feels incredible jealousy and bitterness towards me because I'm doing something, you know, with a sense of freedom that she doesn't feel is accessible to her. Or, you know, I mean, whatever, whatever the thinking is behind that emotion, I don't know, but I can feel the emotion. And because I grew up so aware of everything outside of me and and wanting to cater to people's feelings outside of me that used to stop me from, you know, from just owning my turn on. And literally that's all it is when I'm when I'm dancing and being with my body that way, I am just being with my own pleasure, right? And it's a completely innocent experience, but it is not received that way by the world at all. It is received as though I'm doing something wrong with my sexuality. I did see a pretty dramatic shift in the way that I was received, though, over time, as I became less and less impacted by the emotions of others, and I felt my resiliency growing, my pleasure in the experience grew to be so strong over time that I stopped feeling all that negativity coming at me and started really seeing a shift in how my dancing impacted others positively. Like I could see that I was just having such a great time being a vibe that, you know, other people couldn't help but be impacted by my vibe. Well, and I think that's a little bit more along the lines of what I'm talking about, that you're putting on a public vibe that isn't so threatening as being sexy. When I was talking about not being turned off in public or being turned on, I didn't necessarily mean sexy. I'm not necessarily pointing at, you know, okay, go straight from, you know, being in your sweats at the grocery store to a mini skirt, but I'm suggesting that you don't have the face that says, don't even think of fucking talking to me. And it's kind of getting more in the, a little bit more of that neutral space. And I think that's what you're kind of describing. You kind of found your place where you could, where you could be safe and being out there in the world and be kind of neutral and it, and it was okay. Well, you're describing it from the outside in and I'm, I'm saying what needs to be done from the inside out in order to get to that place. The, the resting bitch face, the like, don't talk to me. That is a trauma response period. It is a natural protectionism that comes on from being bothered by too many men and not feeling safe. Okay. And it's not a conscious choice. It can be where like women can consciously move into this space of fuck everyone, fuck men so strongly that they're, you know, purposely glaring uh, and, you know, looking unapproachable. But when you say you, you got to not have that face on, it's like, well, okay, like how, do, how do I do that from the inside out? That's the work for a woman is how do I create my own sense of safety enough that I can take that face off? How do I feel safe enough in the world? And so when I describe my my dancing practice, that was me creating that shift for myself. I had to put my body in the experience of that practice enough times to build evidence for my body that when someone walks by me and finds me sexy, I do not need to feel it as a threat. I do not need to respond to that by shutting myself down. I get to stay radiant regardless of how anyone responds to me. That is a radical act as a woman. And it's something that we have to learn to do. It's something that we have to reclaim. 
being closed off is a completely natural response to the dynamic that has been presented to us growing up. It doesn't feel good to participate in for us. Well, as, as we've talked so far in our episodes, and as we're going to talk a lot more, the neutral ground is communication. The place where we can really get traction in moving towards getting more of what we want is getting to where we can talk to somebody that we want to talk to, whether it's our partner or somebody new. The foundational place is communication, talking, and, and beginning that process of, of attunement. It begins with words. Yeah, I, I want to say if you're in an existing relationship and you are trying to dive into this work, especially as a woman, if you're waking up to like the realization, I don't really know what I want, I'm not really comfortable in this subject matter, talk to an objective third party with your partner, seek some counseling, because it will help remove so much of the messiness that is inevitably going to come up when you start unpacking this stuff having somebody there to hold you through the process and to help you both represent your experience and your perspective throughout that unpacking process will save you so much mess. I agree 100%. The conditioning is big and it's heavy and it's so encompassing in our lives. And we don't Some, see it till we see it. Well, sometimes we don't see it at all. Sometimes we, we don't even realize what the conditioning's doing. We're just going along with it. And uh, I mean, you said you woke up to it in your 20s. Not everybody wakes up to it. Some people might be waking up to it right now. <laughs> oh, I, I have a parent who I'm still waiting on to wake up. Right? Yeah. So some outside help could be monumental in getting you on a whole new course of getting more of what you want. Outside help is so important. When it comes to getting our own needs met, being shameless about asking for help is so key. We can either do this healing journey in this like really <laughs> messy, like clusterfucky trying to figure out way, or we can lean on some people who are a little further along in the process, who have developed a little more awareness that we are needing to adopt, we can make it so much easier on ourselves. That's my biggest advice. Lean on other people. Let it be easier. Absolutely. So if you've got questions for us, you can find our contact information and our website down below in the page, gettingoffwithnatalieandrocky.com. And speaking of shame, next week's episode is about fuck shame. So <laughs> we're going to delve into that even more, and that should be an interesting episode because that's such an interesting topic. We're going to get into more of that worthiness wound. All right. So thanks for checking out our show, and see you next week. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Getting Off with Natalie and Rocky. For more resources and ways to work with us, visit gettingoffwithnatalieandrocky.com. Please don't forget to follow, rate, review, and share the show. Join us again next week for another stimulating episode. 
We're here to expand your view of what's possible in intimacy and pleasure. 